You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show on 710-KURV. Here's Sergio. Happy Veterans Day from News Talk 710-KURV to all our veterans in the audience. My guest right now is Marine General Michael Neal, Vietnam War veteran. The name of his book, Welcome Home, American Heroes. General Neal, happy Veterans Day. It's an honor speaking with you today. And thank you for your service to our country. And, and let me start by saying, I understand it's in the area of the Vietnam War, it was a volunteer service on your part. So I, we've said so much and we've praised, you know, current veterans and modern day veterans for volunteering in the military, Iraq, Afghanistan and all that. But during the Vietnam War, I understand you volunteered to go to Vietnam. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your service and what you saw in Vietnam, sir. Well, I was uh, going to law school at that point in time. I graduated wow. from San Diego State, where I was a fraternity guy and a basketball player. And I went to Berkeley, just full of uh, you know American spirit and everything else. And Berkeley turned out to be berserkly at the time. It was anti-war time, and they were burning the flag, etc. And I was getting upset watching this on a daily basis. And I went to see a movie one night. There was supposed to be a VC true movie about how, how they were helping the, uh, the Vietnamese people. And it turned out to be a pure communist propaganda piece. And there was a scene in the movie where an American helicopter was shot down and a blonde haired American crawls out of the top of the helicopter and tries to stand up in a machine gun hits him and he falls face down into this rice paddy and the audience cheered and clapped. Oh my goodness. That the next day, I cried all the way home walking home. I lived about a mile from the campus. And I got in my car and drove over to San Francisco and enlisted in the Marine Corps, the officer's program with the proviso that I would not go in until I finished taking the bar exam and I would not be a lawyer in the Marine Corps. I could be an infantry officer. And so I went in the Marine Corps and October of 66, was commissioned as second lieutenant at the end of that year, and then finished our basic school training and went to Vietnam as a second lieutenant platoon commander, having refused to be a lawyer several times along the way. And that was basically my trip. Marine General Michael Neal, Vietnam veteran, author of Welcome Home, American Heroes, I guess. Did you have anyone in your family, a father, an uncle, grandpa, somebody who served in American military? Yes, my father was 30 years in the Corps, and I saw, I remembered as a young boy seeing him come home from World War II, and I wondered who the heck this guy was that came in and picked up my mother and took her into the bedroom and locked the door and wouldn't let me in. And I didn't know who this guy was, but I got to know him, and I respected him very much. And coming from San Diego is a very military-oriented town, and I was very upset over the anti-war activity that took place, and I even got more upset later when I returned to the United States and I heard from my Marines that I commanded in combat in Vietnam, and one of them was deceased, Larry Smedley, who received the Medal of Honor. He was only 18 years old, but that has always stuck in my mind as I carried his lifeless body to the helicopter that night. I, uh, I, I made sure his body went out with all the wounded we took out. 
that night. And the fact that this 18-year-old had died for our country and so many of the men that served under me when they returned to the United States, these are things I was told at reunion were spit upon and reviled by our public that I just felt the need to write this book and tell them about our life in Vietnam. And basically, it wraps around my story, but it's about the men who served and the and the welcoming they got back, which was not a yeah. welcome home. And I and I strive in the book to drive home the point: blame the politicians if you don't like the war. Don't blame the returning warriors. Ten four. Marine General Michael Neal, Vietnam War veteran. His book, Welcome Home, American Heroes. How long did you stay in the service, sir? Because I know you, as you said, you avoided all the, you know, you're an attorney. You didn't want to be a JAG or any type of attorney. You wanted to fight, so you were private. I understand you saw some intense action in Vietnam. You went all the way up to general. That, that, to me, it says several, several years um, in the Marine Corps. Well, I the reserves after I got back. I was asked to, so there were several of us that saw a lot of action. We didn't like the way the war was fought. We didn't like some of the things that were done over there and the way we did things. And we, and I was, I did come back in the reserves after two years when I was asked to come back and I loved it. And just being back in the Marine, my affiliation with the Marine Corps maintained, I went on to command a, tank battalion here, even though I was an infantry officer. And I, I was in various leadership roles, and I got called back to active duty in 1990 to command Camp Pendleton when Saddam Hussein was stupid enough to invade Kuwait. So we had our first Persian Gulf War. What does America get right? What does America get wrong when it comes to dealing treating our veterans these days, sir? Well, I think we treat them, well, undoubtedly we're treating them much better than we ever did during the Korean War, I mean the Vietnam War. We uh, turned around during the war against Saddam Hussein. I began to see bumper stickers saying, support our troops. We had more candy and cakes and pies sent to our Marines in when they were waiting to go to war against Saddam Hussein, that I'm convinced that when we finally did go to war against him after the first of the year in early 1991, our Marines went to war with a higher sugar content than any Marines have ever gone to war with. And it was just a real change in the attitude. And, and I think that men who are Vietnam veterans, we had something to do with that. We, I'll never forget we had a parade and I argued for this. We had a parade in downtown San Diego and Vietnam veterans marched in it and they were cheered and clapped when they went by and tears were rolling down their cheeks. So I think America has got it right now. We do say nice things to veterans and we don't blame the warriors for what the politicians do. What should we, uh, what can we, should we do better as a nation I hear so many it's just heartbreaking headlines that veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan, homeless veterans, unemployed veterans, I think we're falling way short. What would you do, sir, if you had a chance to, I don't know, lead the VA or veterans departments issues that can address these problems and 
the uh, the current batch of veterans that we have that, that need to adjust and come back into society. Yeah, well, we can always do more, but I am convinced that at least the American people understand that they need to do more. And we just, part of this is they have to, the Army and the Marine Corps have to strive for reunions. The best help a veteran can ever get is from other veterans talking to them about their situation. Nothing worse than a veteran going in and seeing a psychiatrist who's he's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And then the psychiatrist asks him, well, what's bothering you, son? What's bothering me is that's the reason I'm here. And he talks to other veterans, and we understand. So there needs to always be tuned into this is not a normal situation of a psychiatrist just treating a patient. These men have been traumatized in ways that are just harder to describe. So we just need to be tuned into each each war and what it takes to help our come back our returning veterans. Look for his book. Yes, sir. Final word. Go, go ahead, sir. Well, no, I was just saying that uh, a lot of times it's the lack of communication among the veterans who served. And I and I, I would say this, the Marine Corps has done a good job of making sure that we Marines have reunions and the Army, Air Force, whoever is affected here, the Navy, they're involved. Doggone it. Encourage them to to mill with other Marines and talk with other soldiers, the guys they serve with, get together, and that helps a lot. I'm blessed to know you, sir, and to meet you today. And how I wish the overwhelming majority of our children today would have the love of country that, that you have. Marine General Mike O'Neill, look for his book, Welcome Home, American Heroes. Happy Veterans Day. This is The Sergio Show. Friend of the station, Raymond Orta. Rhymes with Torta, dear friend of ours, <laughs> joining me right now. How are you, my brother? What's up, Sergio? It's a great, great day. Anytime I get a chance to be on the great 710 KURV, the greatest talk station in the entire Western Hemisphere. <laughs> wow, man. That's pretty high praise. I'm bringing Raymond on the show to talk about Laughs Giving, Wednesday, November 23rd, Cena Erre. But before we talk about that, man, I got to ask you, brother, because I, I see you on social media and you and Miss Keeley in the Holy Land, you got to tell me. How to go, man? What did you see going to the Holy Land a few days back? Well, first of all, uh, that that was amazing because we were over there for two weeks and we got a chance to take an intense tour of Israel where we did like a Bible study in 3D. I took my entire family, and uh, one of the best moments of of the whole trip was when we we're at the valley uh, where David fought Goliath, and my kids were like. Uh, we were at the at the on top of the mountain, and yeah. we're doing the Bible study on the top of the mountain. And then my kids were like, "Wait a minute! You mean that story is true?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, it's true. It happened right there." Where there were man, that was just it made it worth it for me because uh, my kids are my little ones are four and nine years old. So to put the Bible into perspective and make it like pop up in their head as like real events and show it to them in their face. It, was, it fortified their faith, and you can't put a money, uh, yeah. any price tag on that. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it, was, 
And then to just and then I baptize them on the in the Jordan River. Oh, oh my goodness! Awesome, so awesome. <laughs> I got a chance to get baptized in the Jordan River myself, and then I baptized my family. Man, it was it was just an absolute awesome experience. Yeah. And the food over there, you know, you know how how in America they're trying to kill you with the uh, GMOs and the <laughs> Monsanto uh, sprinklings. See. Over there, they're not trying to kill you. <laughs> so everything's it's, kosher. The food is really good. Yeah. Everything's kosher. Everything's clean and blessed, and it's awesome. Yeah, I, 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 I all I can think about is going back. Man, I, I hope they dunked you twice, Ray Ray, in, in the river to make sure it sticks, right? Para que, pa que agarre, you know, oh, it gets. Para que agarre bien, bien, una buena enjuagada, a good, nice, solid rinsing. All right, uh, comedian. Awesome. For real, I've never felt cleaner. Yeah. I've never felt cleaner. <laughs> comedian Raymond Orta, my guest. So we'll be talking about laughs giving comedy show coming up Wednesday, November twenty third. You know, had I been in that valley, now I know what to do next time. If 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 ever Delia and I and the babies go go to the Holy Land. And go see the battlefield, uh, the area where David and Goliath met. Dude, just did you, tell me you just knelt down and brought back a rock, any rock. Just bring some rock with you. You never oh, know. Yeah. might have been one of those that he used back then. Well, we, we actually went over the little creek, the brook, that he went and found the, the smooth stones uh, from, you know, oh. like so we, we we got a chance to get some rocks. We got a chance to get... Uh, all sorts of artifacts, little pieces of salt from the Dead Sea. I was on the Sea of the Dead Sea, the Red Sea, and the Sea of Galilee. All over the place, man. It was Beautiful. awesome. Beautiful. Hey, and I saw you put uh, in the prayer wall <laughs> online. <laughs> it's there, Raymond. He gets a note from the hotel or something. He puts cowboys on there, and he puts it inside the prayer wall. Uh, the way they, <laughs> the way they've been playing, Vato, I don't think they need a prayer. I think, I think they look. Pretty good, and they got some backups at running back and quarterback. They're looking really good right now. Well, I'll tell you what. It was because of the prayer that they're looking as good as they are. <laughs> I, I, I give the glory to the Almighty because uh, <laughs> yeah. they weren't looking like that last year. I believe me. <laughs> yeah. But well, it, was, it was awesome just an experience. You know what's crazy mm. is that uh, when you go to the Wailing Wall, they actually take your Bible away from you. They won't allow a Bible on the on the Temple Mount where the Wailing Wall is at. Okay, but they'll allow the Quran and they'll allow the Torah, but they won't allow people to take Bibles up there. Interesting. I found that really interesting. Okay. I found that really really interesting. When it comes to Scripture uh, and our brethren in the Jewish faith, man, they are they're very very strict as far as respect for even the printed word, the Scripture. Uh, even when have you noticed that when they spell God, they will take out the letter O. They just put G and slash D, and they're very reverent and respectful. And, and any reference to the Almighty, it's I'm wondering if it has something to do with that. Yeah. What's What's nuts is that is is that they removed the title God. They've removed uh, the name of Him, and it's so rare to find even the the traditional Hebrew name of the Almighty. Uh-huh. Is that, and what's fascinating is that out of the wall of the temple, uh, in grass growing from the brick in the wall, you actually have the Hebrew letters of the Almighty forming on the eastern-facing gate. Really? Uh, like, yes, like a straight-up miracle. Like, grass is growing out of the wall. And you could look this up on YouTube. Tell me. Uh, okay, so, I was going to say, tell me if you can take a picture or a postcard oh, of that. I took several, okay. I, yeah, I took several pictures and I and I posted about it and everything. And but it's so powerful because the the tour guide didn't even know about it. 
So when I told him about it, I was like, look, you don't see that right there? And he's like, look, and he's looking at it. And I was like, look, it's the Hebrew name of the Almighty. Like the father. Did he see it? Did he see it? Yes. He started. He started crying. Oh, beautiful. Dude, I believe I pass by this every day. I can't believe I've never seen it. And I was like, dude, I saw this on YouTube. (laughs) It's it's called the Internet. (laughs) YouTube. Check it out. I was hoping that I would be able to get a chance to see it. And all of a sudden, here I am, right in front of it. It was, it was just what a great story. A comedian, yeah. Raymond Orta, my guest right now. So heads up, family. Uh, Thanksgiving week, Wednesday, right before Turkey Day. Great show, awesome show at Cena at Ray. I hope you you're be. I hope you'll be there for Laughsgiving. So who's coming? Uh, tell me about the show. How many showings? What's it all about, Raymond? So, so normally we. This is one of our biggest comedy events of the year. Anybody that brings family from out of town, that's you know how people are about the Valley. They're always talking smack about the Valley, that there's never anything to do, that it's boring. So if you have people that are coming in from out of town, we challenge them to say, hey, no, the Valley has something to do. And you take them the Wednesday before Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. to Cine El Rey, and we have two shows, one at 7 and one at 11. So it's like if you're prepping for Thanksgiving and and you're done, you want to catch the late show, awesome. If you want to catch the early show and you want to and you want to go back home, you get get there at seven. You watch an early show, uh, and so we've only, always had two shows. They've always been sold out. There, it's one of the funnest, funnest nights of uh, of the Valley, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Excellent. But this year we're doing a little different. Normally, I'm the dude that headlines, but uh, it started getting so big that we wanted to start bringing down like some big name comics. So this year, we're bringing down. Uh, comedy legend Juan Villarreal from Houston, Texas. And this guy's been on HBO multiple times. He's been on Def Comedy Jam like 14 times. His comedy resume makes mine look like an amateur. <laughs> uh, so, And he's super, super funny, and we're going to be putting on an amazing show for everybody. So if you guys are looking for a laugh, I, I really, really highly recommend you come out to this show because it's going to be uh, one of the best shows ever. The, the comics on the show are all headliners in their own right. And I got to ask you, Ray Ray. I mean, um, what's the what's the rating on this? Uh, same thing I do with Movie Mom, the the movie reviewer. Just to make sure, is Good. it just for teens, adults? Who goes to this? So um, I've changed my comedy style to be a cleaner comedy style. But however, the headliner comedian is, yeah. and the other comedians do have adult okay comedy stuff type of stuff. Humor. Okay, I'm glad I'm, glad, I'm yeah. glad that you asked. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, they do have adult humor, Fabian. and and uh, and it's but it's it's suitable for anybody over eighteen and pl- eighteen plus. Está muy bien. Pero los primos, las primas, las tías, they stop making tamales. Uh, Seven p.m. show or eleven p.m. show. A great uh, adult comedy program at Cine El Rey. Uh, where do we get tickets? How much? Uh, what what you got, Raymond? So very very easy. Superstarcomedy.net is the website to get tickets. Or you can get the tickets on the day of at the event. We usually have a couple of tickets left over uh, at the door. But don't take the risk. Go to superstarcomedy.net and get your tickets. They start, I think they start at $20. And uh, they're, any seat in Cine El Rey is a good seat. It man. is. Uh, it's they're, a good they're real nice theater. And the sound and lighting is very proper. So you're not going to be left in a bad seat. But if you, if you can and you can afford it, 
I would really recommend you get the VIP. 10 for At Downtown McAllen, Cena at Ray. Downtown McAllen, Cena at Ray. Wednesday, November 23rd, right before Turkey Day. Wednesday, November 23rd, and it's at 7 p.m. or 11 p.m. Get your tickets for Laughs Giving 2022. Great comedy show. Superstarcomedy.net. Superstarcomedy.net. A big hug and a kiss to Miss Keeley and the babies and you too, my brother. Thank you so much for, for calling us today. Thank you so much, Sergio. God bless you guys and God bless your, bless your, your homes and may the Lord shine his face upon you guys and your family. Thank you so much, man. Superstar local comedian Raymond Orta, my guest on The Sergio Show. This is The Sergio Show. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. Happy Veterans Day from Newstalk 710 KURB. Let's focus on pocketbook issues and uh, some money issues. This is the Sergio Show on 710KURV, and I appreciate my friend Tim Snyder from MetadorEconomics.com. Okay, so the big news, Tim, inflation uh, is down. Joe Biden has saved us. The market took off like a rocket yesterday. It's all sunshine and lollipops from this point onward, right? You know, that's exactly what they want us to think. Um, I say this all the time when I'm talking about you know, all these macroeconomic factors and those kinds of things. And if you look at the equity markets, and I'm talking the stock market and those kinds of things, equity markets are like a petulant child, okay? They need to be fed all the time. They like the stimulus because it's a gimme, 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 gimme. Um, They throw temper tantrums. You see them when you have these spikes in the marketplace and all those kinds of things. Yesterday, we have really some good news. We all expected the CPI to get better, a little better for October. But the thing that people forget about is the underneath side. They don't recognize the fact that um, there are some some factors that are going to show us that November is going to be a pretty ugly number. Gasoline and diesel prices went up again. Home heating prices went up again. So those are big issues, Sergio. So if everybody went back and uh, buy, 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 and if we do see those numbers reflected for November, as you said, on the especially on the energy side, uh, so yeah. what a retreat! Sell, sell, sell! <laughs> Coming pretty uh, soon. Yeah. yeah, we call it a trap, is what it is. And and the thing about it is, is that if you understand the markets, if the Biden administration truly understood the markets or respected them, they would understand this. But they don't want to understand the markets. They want to manipulate the markets. And that's what is in basically the heart of the liberal mindset, because they want the profits that the equity side of the world, the stock market people, that people that have stocks and those kinds of things, and corporations that have uh, stock offerings, they want those co- those corporations and those individuals to be able to give them a piece of this. And so 
you know, they don't want to play the game by the way that the market is actually built. They want to manipulate this market, and that's exactly what yesterday was. Tim Snyder, my friend, Tim Snyder from MatadorEconomics.com. We're looking at the most recent inflation report. So year-to-year, uh, -year, it's 7.7% uh, inflation, which is not good, people. <laughs> no good news in it, 7.7%. That's just shy of 8%. We've been at 8.3%, 8.5% pretty much all year. And since this time last year, Tim, I, I went back and looked at some of the numbers. We were at around 65 7% inflation compared to the previous year. So right. if we were at six and a half, seven percent last year, and right now we're 7.7% above that, that's real scary, right? Did I do the math right? Did we just compound it and we've got 14, 15% overall inflation compared to two years ago? Or did I get the numbers wrong? Yes. No, you didn't. You absolutely do get it right. And let me tell you something else. Let me just give you, uh, if you want to, for instance, to, to really clear this all up, the price of eggs, you know, over one year are up 43%. That's, not good That's a staple in most families and houses. The price of bread has doubled in a year. Your fuel costs are still higher than they were a year ago, and no changes in the government's approach towards the economy or towards fossil fuels. So we should expect to see what we saw this year come again this coming year. Great. Great. Okay, so we've got this fiscal policy, this money policy, <clears throat> Fed interest interest rates, um, lending rates uh, increasing it, and, of course, slowing down the mortgage and home sales, and that slows down construction. And it's, it's like I was explaining to a friend the other day, it's like the lead engine of a train you kind of slam the brakes, but the cars behind it, they start bumping into each other. Boom, 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 until you get to the last car yes, and, and, and try to slow things down. So there's a lot of pain, and it takes a time for, for you know, to decrease a demand, uh, fire a whole bunch of people, decrease demand, uh, increase inventory, eventually lower the price uh, of stuff. And, and I don't know if it lowers it enough to figure out the number. I'm, I've got a, just a funny feeling in my gut that we're going to see – um, five, six, four percent inflation. The, the new, the normal used to be what, like two percent at most at a given time. Do that was the target. Uh, that's it the was the target. Do you see those days ever coming back again? Because I think we're in going to be in an inflation cycle for quite some time. Because we're stuck with a present administration that, first of all, hits the um, the delivery method to market uh, diesel. That's going to be expensive for a long right. time. I don't see that going down anytime soon. So it's, it's not like you're trying to stop the train completely. There's so many other variables in, in play right now. Uh, I think we're in for some long-term pain and increasing prices. I mean, how do you see it? I think that's exactly right, and I'll give you a, I'll give you an analogy that ties to your your you know your little definition there, and that is that you know let's assume that we've got this long train. We've got three engines on this long train. Okay. The only one that puts the brakes on is the one in the front because the and, and then all of a sudden the middle two are still driving that train Jeez. and they're still going full power. All right. That will the the energy from that will overtake the the slowdown that's supposed to be happening and create inflation or potential more potential energy again. And that's what we're dealing with here, Sergio. This will happen again. They don't they don't they believe that you can politicize 
the economics of this world, and economics are what drive this country. People need to understand the lifeblood of business in this country is diesel fuel. We have a principal shortage, 25 days of diesel fuel um, in reserves when we used to have 53 or 54. We're cutting back the SPR. We are de-incentivizing the financial institutions through the U.S. Treasury and Janet Yellen from investing in fossil fuels development or anything that relates to that. So we're pulling back all the strings. We're removing the net and asking everybody to get off the train and walk the the tightrope across a deep crevasse on their way into into the engine. And that is dangerous as anything could be. Tim Snyder, MatadorEconomics.com. Let's say Joe Biden called you to the White House, Tim, and said, look, everybody everybody else I talked to, they're all idiots. Look at the situation I'm in. Look, I want to be reelected. Well, not that you can help him, but uh, let's say you have you have two minutes. You have the elevator pitch you need to make, 120 seconds, because then after that he starts falling asleep. You know, his, his grandpa, he's, he had a limited attention span. Wow. So if you in two minutes, what do we need to do, Tim, in your mind, in order to reverse course on inflation and get back to normal as quickly as possible. I said this a year and a half ago, this is all he, all he had to do is come in and, you know, support the energy infrastructure so we have the power that the, the economic engine of this country needs. We were coming out of a pandemic. We needed to manage the economy first take care of those issues, get everything stabilized again, get not only a a spiking workforce, but a stable workforce and stable returns from small business, medium business, and large business, and then do what you will on your social programs. You don't do it backwards. And that's what they did. They did it backwards. They started on the social programs, kill fossil fuels, bring in, you know, wind and solar only, and then lie about it, and that's the thing that got caught them that got them caught in this trap. Thank you, Tim. Have a wonderful weekend. I look forward to our next conversation, brother. You take care. Yes, sir. Me too. Bye bye. MatadorEconomics.com. Tim Snyder. This is the Sergio Show. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. What happened to the red wave? Chihuahuas. It's like, like a tsunami warning, and everybody's waiting for the wave, and then it just fizzled out. So like a, just a little trickle of water coming in. Okay, let's do the uh, postmortem on this red wave. There's a lot of good news last night, though, for Republicans. Terry Schilling, GOP strategist. Terry, good to talk to you again. Okay. I'm going to start. Let's get the bad news out of the way. Uh, New York governor, Michigan governor, my goodness, uh, Pennsylvania Senate. My man, that's just for in my opinion, that's just a new level of just dumb and stupid. I I mean, 
They get the government they deserve by bringing all these tyrants in, and this incompetent fool was being sent to the Senate from Pennsylvania. What happened to the red wave in those states? I thought people had more common sense in, in those states. Well, I think the, the, the best way to learn about what really happened last night is to look where we over, overperformed and outperformed ex- expectations and where we underperformed. Where we overperformed is obvious, and that's with Ron DeSantis. He won Florida by over 19.5 points last night. And the reason that's an outperformance is because just four years ago in 2018, he won that state by less than 0.5%, half of a percentage point. But Ron DeSantis was a bold governor. He cast a bold vision. He took on powerful uh, entities in the state of Florida, including Disney, to protect Floridians and to protect their families. And voters may not agree with him on everything, but they saw him as a leader. Now, you look at the other races, the high-profile races that we lost. The first that comes to mind is Pennsylvania. We had a weak candidate there with Dr. Oz. He He had tons of money, tons of cash, but what was his economic message? We know that you know Republicans, for the most part, opposed the Biden agenda. They opposed Biden's inflation. But what was their plan to address inflation for the American people? I don't know. I don't even know their economic I mean, That was a given. At this point. Terry, that was a given. American energy, the F word, fracking. I'm going to protect Pennsylvania fracking. Let's get to work. Let's provide the energy. Let's lower the cost of energy, thereby lower the price of eggs and milk. That was real easy. Oh, my goodness. Did he not say anything like that? You know, I imagine he talked, I mean, every Republican was talking about energy independence, but I don't, when you're a voter, right, these issues are complicated with inflation. You attribute energy prices with your, your home heating and your electrical bill and your gas, but you don't always translate that to the grocery store or, or your kid's tuition or Jeez. any of the other dozens of areas where you've seen your prices increase. So I just think that going into 2024, we really need to reassess the GOP economic message, and we really need to look at who we're nominating because we can't go with nice guys anymore. We have to go with people yeah. that are willing to take risks and tell voters what they want to do. Well, unfortunately, uh, Terry Schilling, uh, GOP strategist, we're doing the uh, postmortem on this red wave that did not happen overnight. We're looking at, we're trying to get all the bad stuff out of the way. We don't have a choice. We're really not going to have much of a choice. Uh, as far as who voters uh, nominate, right, in the primary. Uh, unless you get some superstar and a champion of liberty and, and capitalism and domestic energy and everybody wakes up and, and, you know, provides more than just a celebrity, someone with some substance to run a good campaign. But I think it's up to the GOP, Terry. I think, you know, behind the scenes, they need to be do a better uh, job of helping the candidate message toward victory, whatever the big message is. And, of course, I think it's still going to be on the economy in a few years. Uh, I don't know. I put this one at the altar of leadership over at GOP, not doing due diligence, making sure they properly message for for Mehmet Oz. And it's too late now. It's done. <laughs> this We were supposed to have several days of trying to figure out who was going to win this. Uh, Pennsylvania has spoken. And, again, they gave us another idiot. Uh, they gave us Joe Biden. Now they give us uh, <laughs> this this guy headed to the Senate. Lord helps. Okay, let's focus on uh, Michigan. Well, when, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, they want the little tyrant. Okay, fine. Let them have it. Uh, New York, uh, Hochul. Uh, hey, enjoy all the crime in New York. And, you know, and Enjoy that. Path to victory in the Senate. 
we're behind right now. We, we might need a special election in Georgia to get us to 49. And, and then what? Look at the other races, the three other races that are up for grabs. I think we're behind in all three, right? Uh, we're, we're ahead uh, in Nevada. Uh, but in Arizona, we're behind. No, we've lost uh, Arizona. And in Georgia, yeah. we're, we're, we're behind. Did they already declare? I don't think no, they, no declared they haven't declared. Exactly. It's just I don't like the numbers in Arizona. And that's another thing you and I can talk about for a long time. Like, what the hell happened to Arizona? <laughs> I thought they were conservative. <laughs> and they just put a, a Biden puppet back in the seat in Arizona in the Senate, in my opinion. I, I think that's what, the way it's going to haul. Uh, Nevada, I, I did not know we were st- slightly ahead in Nevada. So we got Nevada, Arizona. Let's see, Ohio, we're still, no, Ohio, we, we're set. Well, there's one more that I'm, that I'm missing here. We're fighting for oh, so Alaska. They they call Alaska. That's going to okay. remain Republican control. They uh, early this morning the AP called Wisconsin. So right now it really does come down to Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada, and the way that those go. Ultimately, I think what we're looking at is uh, a very light, high likelihood that the Senate control will be decided by a runoff election in Georgia again. Deja wow. vu. Wow. Um, and um, I'm, I'm not too optimistic about that. My goodness. Uh, you don't think that Republicans do okay, or will, will do fine in a runoff in Georgia? I mean, that's the only thing in town. Everybody can show up, and everybody in the Republican dog show up to fight for that seat, maybe get, you know, push a more conservative vote to the polls. I, I, I guess my big concern about that race is just how much uh, uh, Walker underperformed. Uh, Brian Kemp, right? Brian Kemp won his race handily. They called it early. Uh, they still aren't out of the woodwork with this race. There was a huge drop-off in turnout. I think a large part of this is because of the last-minute attacks that uh, we saw against Walker um, and his personal life. So, for example, you know, Brian Kemp won that race, uh, his race, by over 300,000 votes. You go to, uh, uh, he got over 2.1 million votes. Herschel Walker sitting at 1.9 million votes. He underperformed uh, Brian Kemp by about 200,000 votes. There's something weird here, um, and something off. And um, I don't know. It's very concerning. So I just I, I'm not optimistic about a runoff. Democrats so, have a real machine that they can tap into yeah. to turn out the vote. Well, if let's say Governor Kemp goes out there and stumps for him, and will champion Herschel Walker maybe bring back some of that vote in history. And then Herschel Walker go out there swinging, like Kavanaugh style, and saying, lies, lies, mudslinging, lies. I'm going to represent liberty. I'm going to represent Georgia. I'm going to champion the cause of liberty. Don't you think maybe that would bring enough people out on, you know, for Herschel? Look, I'm not... I'm not. I'm not a doomer on this. I definitely think we have an opportunity. I just. I. I don't think it'll be an easy fight. I think it'll be yeah. a real fight uh, and be very competitive. There's going to be tens of millions, possibly over a hundred million dollars spent in that runoff race alone. So we'll just have to see what happens. Political strategist, uh, Republican Terry Schelling is my guest from American Principles. And okay, we'll close out with Arizona. My God, they had a great candidate. For, for governor, and she's behind. And, of course, um, astronaut Kelly, just a, a Biden puppet, leftist puppet, she'll do whatever the hell the, the left wants. He's being sent back, more than likely, more than likely being sent back up to D.C. I don't know where they're going to find the votes to overcome this. What What's wrong with Arizona? Man, they used to be solid Republican. What What the hell happened there? Uh, you know, I, I really don't know. I, it, we'll have to see. I 
I think it's too early to 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 be too negative about what what's going to happen in Arizona. I think that I think we have had seriously dynamic candidates that are outside the box, that are attractive, that have attractive platforms. Uh, I, I, I'm just not well, willing to throw in the towel yet on those two races. I think it's a very it's very promising. It's neck and neck. It's it's very close in all the races. Um, and we still need to. I, I really need to dig in and look at what hasn't been reported yet. Is it the early voting? Is it the mail-in voting? Is it the same-day voting? Which counties still need to report? Yeah. There, there's just a lot out there. Um, and and um, you know, Maricopa County is a very close uh, county for uh, Republicans typically, um, and um, it's skewed heavily towards uh, to, towards Mark Kelly right now. So I think a lot of the Republican precincts there just haven't reported yet yeah okay pal for next time donald trump and his influence or lack thereof politically if he if he's done yes or no as far as you know uh, being the kingmaker i i like that for next conversation terry thank you for your time today thank you have a great day gop strategist terry Schilling. this is the sergio show Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news. On News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Sergio Show. Here's Sergio. In the political realm, the next presidential election, I mean, relatively speaking, is light years away. I mean, so much could happen in two years. So much could happen in the final two weeks of early vote before an election. Imagine two years before the next presidential election. Either way, I'm still going to talk about it. With Americans for Prosperity, Akash Shogel. Appreciate you joining us today, Akash. Okay, so let's talk about the Republicans and probably the huge field of candidates. Maybe the Democrats might have a few few uh, candidates as well if Joe Biden is either set aside or steps aside before the next run. So let's start with the Republicans, specifically Donald Trump. Do you think his star is fading, or is he going to be the leader for the GOP going into 24? I certainly don't think he is as dominant a figure as he was a few years ago. If you look at his track record coming out of the 2020, you know, one 2018 election cycle, the 2020 election cycle, the Georgia runoffs in 2021, and then this year where he was criticizing Republican general election candidates. Um, and seem to be a drag on the party. I think his star is probably fading, but the thing that we are really looking forward to, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or really anybody else who throws their hat in the ring, is a forward-looking positive vision and agenda of things that they are for, because clearly Tuesday told us that it is simply not enough to say that, hey, I am not a Democrat. No matter how bad the Democrat policy agenda is, it's not enough to say I'm not those guys folks have got to be for something. And that's what I think we'll be curious to see if Donald Trump and the other prospective candidates roll out there as things get going. Governor Ron DeSantis and his star 
is shining bright these days, especially after that that amazing victory in Florida. And he's running things. It seems he's running things the way some Americans would like to see this country run. Do you think there's a, a future nasty fight with these two? Because I think Donald Trump said something. I got some dirt on you. I got some something on you. And he's already trying to take him down. Uh, are we headed toward potential civil war in the Republican primary? Yeah, I don't know if I would call it a civil war, to be honest. I think if you, if you notice, Governor DeSantis has not responded. He has a job to do. He's a sitting governor, and he's clearly doing the thing that Trump wasn't able to do, which is grow the coalition. I mean, he is running up numbers among suburban swing voters, Latino districts and communities across this country. And so the tent is expanding. He has a governing agenda that he's laid out there. And so what I don't think is going to happen is that it's going to turn into a civil war of personalities. Like the 2016 primary became about Trump's personality versus the personalities of the other candidates. I think some of these other folks have far too much going for them for that to be the case. What remains to be seen is if Trump rolls out a policy agenda of his own to compete, because I think what the voters deserve is a contrast of vision, yeah. not just personalities to choose from. Well, I really like uh, Ron DeSantis' style to date. I mean, uh, Donald Trump would go real personal, go after his family, maybe force him, egg him on to say something. But I love Donald Trump. I think it's a Best thing that happened to American politics is to get a non-politician, billionaire, businessman in there. But, you know, his New York personality, Donald Trump is Donald Trump. One thing I never really liked, and I think a lot of people can say the same, we don't like his mouth and his attitude and the drama. And I, and I love Ron DeSantis because, you know, he'll stay nice and quiet. He'll soldier on, take care of business. But in the end, let's say Ron DeSantis I mean, I'm just focusing on him because I don't see another, any other superstar in the Republican Party. They've got a deep bullpen, but Ron DeSantis, I think he's, right now, the way we see him, he's a closer. He's the one you bring into the ninth inning with three outs to, to shut things down. Uh, let's say uh, he gets a nomination and he does good and wins across. Can he still win without whatever remnant, cult remnant, is left for Donald Trump. Let's face it, some Democrats crossed over because of Trump. Some Republicans are nobody but Trump. And there's, it is kind of like a cult movement. It's, I, I say it's a small number, but it's there. We have to recognize it's there. Can he win the presidency without that cult following that will refuse to show up and vote like they did post-presidential election in Georgia 2020 to try to save the Senate? Out to hell with it. If it's not Trump, I don't give a damn. And they'll be, you know, they'll just be disillusioned and, and stay home. That can he win? Can a Rod DeSantis Republican win the White House without the small number, the the Donald Trump cult? Yeah, you know, I think one. I don't think that that many of of Trump's base will stay home for DeSantis. He does many of the things that they liked about Trump. He's strong on many of the same issues. But I think even beyond that, a point that I would make is. DeSantis did the thing that Republicans have struggled with so much, which is growing their coalition, growing the tent, competing in communities where they've had a hard time winning. I mean, he was flipping counties and winning by seven, eight points that Republicans traditionally have lost by double digits. And so clearly he's shown an ability to win in all kinds of environments, all kinds of communities. And I do think ultimately your base conservative voters, base Republican voters, including Trump loyalists, would show up for him in a general election, but we've got a long way to go to get to from there. I mean, look how early we are in the 24 cycle, like you said. Any number of people could throw yeah. their hat in the ring, and I think the number one thing folks have got to do right now, which DeSantis has already demonstrated, others will have a chance to do it, is what are you for? What is your agenda? What is your vision? He has been able to define himself better than any other Republican in the country. That's why he's a front runner, but 
I wouldn't bet on the fact that he's the only one who does that. Others yeah. have the ability to do that. It remains to be seen if they do so. With Americans for Prosperity, Akash Shogul. I, I don't want to step over another interview. Do, are you okay on time right now, or can we keep yep. talking? Yep. Okay. A couple more minutes? We're good? Yep. All right. Democrat side. Now, they're desperate to find some new talent. I Obviously, I, I just don't think Biden makes it to the end, brother. I mean, it's just, it's nature, it's Humanity. I, I just don't health wise. I don't think he makes it there. So either he gets replaced or he steps down. And Kamala shows up. I, I don't see Kamala as a viable candidate. I just don't. But so they've been trying to groom on the Democrat side. I think uh, Governor Goodhair, Gavin Newsom, and Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, she. They want to make her a superstar. Who else do you see on the Democrat side that they might throw in? in in an effort to, to nominate, and, and who else might pad the numbers and, and you know run again on the Democrat side? Well, I, I, I would make two points. There are a couple of other names, Jared Polis in Colorado, Governor Cooper in North Carolina. He won twice with Donald Trump on the ballot as a Democrat in a conservative state. But, I mean, think about it. After Tuesday's disappointing results from the Republicans, like you said, if Joe Biden, I mean, he may have some health issues or things like that, but he is as strong as he's ever been. And I think the one surefire way that you guarantee that he stays on the ballot is by making Donald Trump your nominee. I mean, Joe Biden has already shown that he can beat Donald Trump yeah. in a head-to-head election, in a proxy election, which is what Tuesday was. I mean, functionally, Democrats overperformed, Republicans underperformed. Uh, so I would by no means, absolutely no means, be writing off which Joe bank? Biden. Okay. They clearly feel like they have some momentum behind him. And, and the bench, like you said, isn't quite as deep as the Republican bench is. Um, but again, none of that will matter. If all he has to do is show up on the ballot and not be Donald Trump, he can do that. Republicans cannot do the same. They have their their party brand is too toxic for them not to have a okay. you know a, an aggressive vision and agenda to show people how they're going to tackle issues like crime, like immigration, like the economy, create jobs, create prosperity for people. Other Republicans have done that, like we talked about: Governor Abbott, Governor Kemp, Governor DeSantis, Governor Sununu some folks in the Senate. Uh, and so that is the vital, vital question for the 2024 race in the early well, stages. Begs the question, you know, Republicans underperformed. When you are asked why, what do you say, Akash? Why did they underperform in, an, in a time that they should have overperformed? They, they underperformed because far too many of them ran on the simple message of, I am not a Democrat, and people had no idea what they were for. And so the only thing that they associated Republicans with was the Trump brand. And the reason we know that this is the case is Republicans most closely branded with Trump either lost or they underperformed, while their counterparts who are not that way overperformed. You can look at the governor's race in Ohio versus the Senate race the governor's race in Georgia versus the Senate race in Georgia, example after example, they underperformed where they did not have a vision, agenda, and identity. In places where they did do that, they romped the re-election. Okay. Well, good points. Thank you, Akash. Appreciate your insight. With Americans for Prosperity, Akash Shogul. This is The Sergio Show.